a day or so after the CrossFit CEO made his stupid tweet, <clears throat> which you can hear more about if you don't know, in episode 24 of the Juicebox podcast, I received a text message from four-time Olympian Chris Freeman. Uh, Chris is a person who has type 1 diabetes and who competes uh, for the last four uh, Olympics in a row as a cross-country skier, which is something that sounds physically impossible when you don't have type 1 diabetes, at least it does to me, but when you have diabetes, it uh, it seems a little extra difficult. Anyway, uh, Chris wrote something on Facebook about the CrossFit incident. I liked it, and he contacted me and said, hey, if you want to share that story um, that I told on Facebook, go ahead and share it. I'd love more people to hear it. And I said, forget that. Come on the podcast and tell it yourself. So what began as uh, a conversation about CrossFit quickly went into just two people talking about type 1 diabetes. And I think you're going to find it's very interesting to listen to a person who is that in tune with their body talk about how they manage their type 1. And then he and I get to kind of bounce things back and forth about parenting kids with type 1, living with the disease. It's a really great, uh, I really liked it. And I think you're going to too. So just remember, nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast constitutes advice, medical or otherwise. And this is episode 26, four-time Olympian Chris Freeman. Chris, good morning. It's Scott. Hey, how you doing? Good. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yeah. Okay, excellent. That was easy. <laughs> I'm accustomed to a couple of minutes of uh, knob turning and everything, so that's excellent. Actually, you're a little bit muffled. Hold on a second. Let me see what I can do. How's this? Any better? That is better. Oh, excellent. I'll move around a little bit, too. Um, is this Okay. It is. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, first of all, congratulations, man. You getting married? Yeah, uh, I am getting uh, married in a little less than a year. Wow, that's excellent. You've been, like, from Facebook, I only know this, but you've been with this person for a while, right? Um, three years. Yeah, that's a long time. Good for you. Congratulations. That's excellent. Thank you. What did she do? What, would we say her name on this or no? Yeah, uh, her name is Amber, and uh, she is the um, development coordinator for the New England Nordic Ski Association. Oh wow, that's a uh, that's a so perfect she job. Pretty much, she pretty much organizes everything for uh, fourteen and fourteen years of age and younger um, in New England for cross country ski racing. That's a huge job, it sounds like. Excellent. Oh, man, that's really great. Good for you. Um, so I don't usually do any big kind of thing here. You know, I'll, I'll do a cold, like, introduction for you later so we can just kind of start talking and, and see where the conversation leads. Okay. So after the the CrossFit CEO comes out and makes his his statements about uh, pouring out a, a Coke for your dead homies. Um, people had varying responses. And some people were, were wildly you know, upset and, and they feel like it, it hurts advocacy. Uh, some people, I think, are just insulted and, and think that um, 
you know, it's, it's already difficult enough for people to understand what type one diabetes is and what it's like to live with it. And it doesn't help for people to go around making, you know, kind of misleading statements in public like that. Um, and then there was the perspective that I think you had, and I think that's why we're kind of together today. So we can talk about that. Does that, that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So what was your reaction when you saw it? Um, my reaction was, um, basically that, you know, it was obviously a very broad and misinformed generalization that, uh, that the, that the CEO had. And also that, um, he's had the, the CEOs had so many missteps and quite frankly, I don't respect his organization at all that I wasn't surprised. And, um, it just kind of went off my shoulder because um, I always try to educate those around me about what diabetes is and what it means and the differences between type 1 and type 2. But I think you probably saw my Facebook post. I used an example uh, of sometimes people just aren't going to get it, and then I don't waste my time and energy. I always think that... um you know, I, I kind of tell the, a similar story over and over again when I'm trying to get this through to people, too. Like, I have a I have a similar feeling, too. Like, I don't know anything about the CrossFit organization, you know, historically or anything like that. But I try to tell people that there was a moment in my life when I was in my late teens, early 20s, where my best friend was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And we were together, you know, constantly. And then fast forward you know, a lot of years and my daughter's diagnosed and it took me like four days into her diagnosis before I thought, wow, you know, Mike had diabetes, has diabetes our whole life together. And how is it? I don't know anything about it. You know, I always think like it's kind of unreasonable for people to expect others to have like an intimate understanding of the, of the goings on of your life, you know, especially when it comes to disease or, or, or lifestyle or things like that. So, you know, I mean, it's no different if you asked me to tell you the ins and outs of having, you know, lung cancer right now, I would know absolutely nothing about it. And I wouldn't be able to speak on it at all. The difference between me and, and the CrossFit CEO is that I would not go out in public and try to talk on something I didn't in any way understand. Right. But the statement basically struck me as trying to um, create publicity. Yeah. And unfortunately, it worked for him. Um, so... You know, in some ways, I would I, it, was, it was negative publicity, but it was publicity, and I, and I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I knew absolutely nothing about diabetes when I was diagnosed, and I certainly didn't know the difference between type one and type two diabetes. Right. Um, and but that is that's also where things get a little different in that you know you have type one and you have type two, two completely different diseases with the same symptoms, mm-hmm. and so one gets lumped in with the other. Generally, type 1 gets pumped in with type 2, and I think that's where um, the most um, hurt feelings come from, is in the type 1 community when they get lumped in with type 2. Yeah. And I, 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 I personally, I wish that they would just change the name of type 1 and come up with a different name, <laughs> and, then, and then that would be a lot simpler. Right. So what do you... what we, Like... You know, I spoke, I had a long conversation that was the last episode of this podcast, but I spoke with a woman who, whose child had type 1 diabetes, and, and the reason it struck her so harshly is, 
she was talking about her child going to school and already fighting with a lot of misgivings. And she didn't want people running around the world, um, you know, making it more difficult. And I heard, you know, um, Moira McCarthy's first kind of response was that we work so hard to raise funds and it's already difficult enough to explain to people why the fundraising is important. And when somebody minimizes it like this, I think it, it hurts advocacy. And I don't disagree with those things, but those are like world issues. Those are, those are big picture issues on a personal level. I have to admit my response is a lot like yours. So can you tell people what you, what you said with the story you related on Facebook after this happened? Basically I was, basically I was at a wedding and I was, I was sitting next to an older woman who was overweight and, um, she made a production with our waiter of proclaiming that she was on the Atkins diet and that she needed to have her hamburger with no bun and that she didn't want fries. She wanted a salad. And, you know, I, I've seen it before. I didn't think anything of it, but I do because of, because I am, I am who I am. I'm very curious and I watch what people eat and I'm very, and I'm very specific about what I eat. So I noticed that when she got her meal, you know, she drowned her, her, her burger in ketchup. Um, she drowned her salad in honey mustard and she also had two real Cokes um, with the with her meal, which, if you know anything about the Atkins diet, completely defeats the purpose of excluding carbs from the from the bun. And um, I just kind of shook my head and ate my meal. It wasn't my place to to say anything. But later on, she engaged me in conversation, and she and I, you know, it came up that I, I had diabetes and she said, Oh, you must've eaten too much sugar when you were a kid. And I just, I just kind of got up in my head, got enraged for about five seconds and then just said, you know, it's just not worth it. Right. Right. Cause <laughs> and I went off. How are you going to, how are you going to explain the, the, the many intricacies of where she's wrong in, in, a, in a way that she's going to leave thinking, Oh wow, I didn't, I really don't understand this, and you're not changing anybody's anybody's mind in the moment. No, and one of the things that I one of the things that I've noticed about diets, especially in America, is is what I call willful ignorance. Um, if you don't know exactly what you're eating, it's a lot easier to eat it because you don't know um, how how bad or good it is for you. Just eat what you want to eat. And I think that's the way most Americans approach their diet would be willful ignorance. And she was definitely an example of that. You hear a lot of people say in afterwards, like, well, no one ever told me when I was growing up. Um, I, right. I, just, I just heard someone say that recently. They, they, they saw a, a documentary and, and came to the realization that sugar might not be great for them. And after a lifetime of, of overeating sugar, they stopped and lost a, an, an excessive amount of weight really quickly. And then the answer later was that, well, I didn't know. No one ever told me, you know, I couldn't eat Cocoa Puffs every day. But to your point, I think that if you want to apply your common sense to that for five seconds, it would, it would stand to reason that they're probably not great for you. And, and you know, in willfully, I guess you just try to ignore it to... So you can kind of go on doing what you're doing and, and, and come up with other reasons. I, I think that personally, though, when, you know, whether it's the CEO statement from CrossFit or if it's the woman at your dinner or whatever it ends up being, I think on a personal level, you handle that exactly right. Like you, you, you just say to yourself, like, what's the point? She doesn't understand. It doesn't really affect me. Her ignorance doesn't affect me, really, unless I let it. 
And, um, and then that's sort of how the CrossFit thing hit me. Like I eventually put it on my blog and talked about it because it was so huge and everybody was talking about it. But when it initially happened, I guess had the community not reacted to it, I would have never thought twice about it. Like I saw a guy trying to drum up, you know, some sort of publicity for his first company, you know, trying to be outlandish. I mean, he didn't just hit, you know, people with diabetes with his, with his poor humor and, and his ill-informed statements. Like, I mean, I, I thought it was a, you know, it was a, 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 a pointed shot at, you know, um, inner city people or, or, you know, of a certain culture who would, you know, pour out a, you know, a, an alcoholic beverage over a gravesite of a, of a dead, you know, friend. Uh, you know, he was, he was all over the place with his, you know, quote unquote humor. And so I saw it and I was like, ah, idiot, you know, and that was sort of the end of it. And I didn't think about it again. Like, I don't feel like that guy's on my personal level, like right here in my life, what he did doesn't affect me, my family or my daughter. Now, if it goes to strengthen someone's idea that you must have eaten too much sugar as a kid, and that's why you have type one, you know, on a larger plane, then I am, you know, I'm dissatisfied that that's going on in the world, but I don't know how to stop that. You know, I don't know that making myself upset stops that either. Um, yes. You, you, you know what uh, I mean? I do. I do. I, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. I think, I think picking, I think picking the battles is probably the, the, the right way to go. And I think also, I think, you know, for the long, longest time it was, Juvenile diabetes and type 2 diabetes, but juvenile diabetes doesn't really describe the disease either. Um, a different name is is key, I think, to separating the two diseases. Um, and unfortunately, that doesn't this doesn't happen. Um, I, th- I believe that the clinical definition of diabetes is uh, like the actual, if you break the word down, means high blood sugar. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that you would name both diseases diabetes, but because they're so different, um, it is unfortunate that there hasn't come up with a better name. You think that someone would have like a name contest or something <laughs> like that. And then- a couple of pharma companies would, uh, throw together a contest or something like that. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I have still, you know, I'm, I, I just got off my, um, my camp tour that's, that I go on sponsored by Lily every year. And, you know, I see these kids and uh, at camps across the country, and every one of them has been offended in this way. Sure. Um, pro- probably fairly regularly at schools. And, you know, I don't want to mix my message here because I just said, you know, ignore the CEO of CrossFit when he says something stupid. But um, I do want to say that, like, when someone at school, like a teacher, says something misinformed, I think this thing is really important to. Uh, educate them about the differences with type one. And that's what I've always done with myself with the people around me that I respect Mm -hmm. and the people that I have to interact with on a daily basis. Um, Sometimes you just run out of energy. And I think that the CEO was a good example of somebody that you shouldn't waste your energy on when you're already a little bit fatigued. Yeah. And it is time. That was actually the other person I was Eileen's um, point too, is my life is already so taxing and I already don't get enough sleep and, I'm so tired. Like, I don't want to, it sucks to have to put energy into this. And that's where I kind of said to her, like, maybe you didn't have to, like, you know, maybe, maybe you could have just let this one go. But, but she was taking up a mantle for 
on a world, like more of a world stage and, and less of a personal issue. And, you know, Chris, on it's Monday now. On Wednesday afternoon, my um, my daughter Arden's softball team has won their district tournament. They've won their sectional tournament. Now they have to play in a state tournament that's maybe 90 minutes from my house. And okay. on the first day of this tournament, it's just kind of a welcome party. All the teams come in and they have dinner together. And this is not something the parents go to. The kids usually load into a couple of cars with the coaches and they go and they have dinner and they hang out with the other kids and they come back. But I'm going to go because 90 minutes away is a little too far if something kind of goes bonkers, you know, with, with Arden. I don't think that it's not something she could handle. Like, you know, she could change her Omnipod if she wanted to. You know, she could handle all that other stuff. But it's the three adults that she's with who she's known for years. And we've had many, many conversations about type 1 diabetes as much as I've tried and as earnestly as they want to understand, they don't understand anywhere near to the level that they think they do. And at some point, I just said to myself, I'm like, oh, I, I guess I'll just be there in those moments because, I mean, what am I going to do? It's not really their responsibility. Like, they get that she has type 1. They know she could get low or high. They know how that could be dangerous for her. But, you know, if something really happened, they'd be at a loss. And... um I see that happen at school too. You, you know, really well-meaning teachers who sit down in meetings and listen about things go to you know, you know, situations where they're they're taught by nurses and they read literature and everything like that. And then you're three minutes, three months into the school year, and have this really great, comfortable feeling that this person understands what's going on. And something happens, and then their response shows you that they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Um, I think yeah. I, I I kind of. Blame that a little on American American culture about medicine is that you go to the doctor and they give you a pill and you're better. And diabetes does not work that way, as you know. You know, it's they, you go to the doctor and they give you some synthetic insulin and you try to regulate a missing hormone in your body for the rest of your life. That's a lot different than taking a pill. Yeah, and that's a hard the hard message to get across to other people. Um, like you know. Yeah, she took four units of insulin with lunch yesterday, but that doesn't mean she's taking four units today. You know, her site worked yesterday. It doesn't mean it's going to work today. And getting all those things across can be really difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I remember I remember feeling almost betrayed by uh, a coach on the U.S. ski team once when we were I was doing the tour to ski over in um, Italy. And... It was a difficult race for me because it was uh, 35 kilometers point to point. So we started in one city and we ended in another. Wow! And the, the trick, the trick for that is we had a small staff, and I needed to have feeds along the way as mm -hmm. I went as I went there. You know, bottles of sports drink, and I told him where I needed it, and you know, he's looking at it and he's like, "Well, do you really need all those feeds?" <laughs> and I just looked at him and I'm like. What do you mean? Do I really need all those feeds? Even right. if I don't need those feeds, I need you there. Yeah. Because if I don't have that feed there and I do need you, then I am just, not only am I going to have to drop out of the race, but I'm probably going to hurt myself and I won't be able to finish this tour. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to race the next day because I won't recover. And so here's this person that I've been working with for 10 years who still doesn't get it. Yeah. And um, I think 
I, I, I follow your blog pretty regularly, and I think I and I see how in tune you are with with your daughter, and I think that's awesome, and I think that's what what you really need. I mean, I I am running a constant equation in the back of my head for my own insulin use, and I think you probably are with your daughter as well. And you know, I I do have my own private coach. And he has no medical training whatsoever, but he is my, absolutely my most valuable medical resource when it comes to diabetes because he is in tune with me and he watches what I do right. and, he, and he listens to me. Um, and that's the real trick. Diabetes is a constant, constant um, battle of balancing, and, and that is the hard thing to get, get across. If there isn't, there's no magic pill. There's no magic injection. It's a constant, uh, a balancing act. Yeah. And then to the, your point about the name, uh, you know, it's just so many people still think of it as juvenile diabetes and it puts that inference in their head that once you're not a juvenile, you, well, you must not have diabetes anymore or they wouldn't call it that. And you know, like last week, last week, my son played baseball out of state for, uh, seven solid days. And I was the one that went along with him. He's 15, so I went along with him. And, you know, all the dads are there, and they're, you know, they're, they want, they're so excited about being by themselves for a week. And we'll do this, and we're going to do that, and we'll do this. Scotty, you'll come, blah, blah. And I said, I am sleeping every chance I get while we're on this trip. I said, I know it's not exciting. It's not sexy. I'm going to go to bed early and wake up late in every possible time that this is because I'm so tired from managing diabetes overnight that I'm like, I'm losing my personality and I'm starting to respond to things. And even in the middle of me speaking, I'm like, that's not me. Like, this isn't how I would talk about this, but I'm exhausted in a way that, you know, after, you know, in, in, in a couple more weeks, Arden's going to have been, Arden's going to be nine years with diabetes. And so I think a large way of how I keep Arden's A1C where I want it to be is I take very, I take, I take those nighttime hours when there's no food and I keep her blood sugar on the lower side and as stable as possible to kind of just try to steal eight hours where there's no food to fight with, you know? So I'm explaining to these guys. Yeah. And so, you know, so that, that leads to a conversation where, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm explaining things fairly well without overwhelming them. And at the end of the conversation, a guy says to me, he goes, yeah, but pal, it's okay. Because when she gets older, it'll be much easier. And I sort of started to say no. And then I went, yeah, great. You know, like, what am I going to do? Like, yeah, I just explained the whole thing to you. Like, you know, when she turns, you know, 18 and leaves for college, it doesn't get easier. It just more of it goes on her and less of it's on me. I mean, easier for me in the moment, I guess, but I'm not going to, I mean, I imagine there's someone who loves you right now. Who's in the back of their mind, wondering how your blood sugar is, you, you know what I mean? And how you're feeling. And, um, you know, you, right. you need to only go into the community for five minutes to see, you know, some woman on Facebook yesterday talking about her, her son, who's in his teens, who went swimming and, you know, got too low in the water and someone had to bring him out. And you know, she's trying to, right. she's banging that drum, like, please don't swim alone. Like, you, you know, like all this stuff. I'm like, it's not going to get, like, I, I wanted to say to him, like, man, it's not getting any easier. Like diabetes is diabetes. So, you know, I might get better at it or we might come up with a better plan or maybe the technology will get, you know, more, more solid as we move along. But like diabetes itself is not getting easier unless someone 
figures out how to flip a switch and turn your pancreas back on. Like that's the only way it's getting easier. But I just yeah, the, to your point on technology, I think that the I think the first thing that's going to come out is a um, an artificial pancreas that we can use for sleeping. I mm-hmm. mean, I think writing an alg- writing an algorithm for all the different activities a person does through the day is very difficult, but I think a sleep algorithm is going to come out relatively quickly. And not I mean, too impossible. You know, we got the FDA and everything. And uh, for, for parents, I think that's going to be an absolute uh, blessing. And for myself as well. I mean, I, it, there's nothing like, there's nothing like, you know, my bedtime rolling around and checking my blood sugar and having it gone from 100 to 300 for yeah. no apparent reason. And, and I'm just like you. I won't go to bed with a blood sugar like that. Um, and generally, the best thing for me to do to lower it is to go outside and do a small amount of exercise to open up the cell, the, the muscle cells to recepting the, the insulin better. And usually, I get a quick drop. Yeah. But the last thing I want to do at my bedtime is go outside. <laughs> Start and running around. Just well, exercise. I just exercise all day. I don't want to do it again. Yeah. Well, last no. last night's a great example. So Arden comes home from practice last night late. They're starting to practice at night because the tournaments are happening at night. So they want the kids to practice in, you know, under lights like they're going to be when they're playing. So she gets home 9.30, quarter of 10. She's exhausted from practicing. She told me on the way home, she's like, I'm really hungry. And I'm like, okay. But then you get there and she's sort of like, I don't know what I want. And there's back and forth. And you know, I'm like, I could cook something, you know, like, here's what we have. And she starts making faces at me. And, you know, it's, it's Sunday night. And my wife says like, you know, the pizza place up the street's open for like 20 more minutes. And I'm not scared of pizza. I can bowl for pizza with my eyes closed and, and not have a big problem with it. But as I'm going out to grab the food and bring it, bring this pizza back, she starts getting really low and then grabs something like sugary that then my wife's like, well, I didn't want to bowl us for it because she was so low. But then I was out and I didn't realize it. And the next thing you know, it's one o'clock in the morning and her 180 blood sugar was 200 and then it was 220 and it was creeping up. And so I'm bolusing for it, but I'm not bolusing heavily. By the time one o'clock got around, like I was giving Arden a significant amount of insulin for her. Um, and you know, her blood sugar right now is like 111. And so it worked and I had her blood sugar down by like three in the morning, but from 10 30, 11 o'clock until three in the morning, it was way too high. And, you know, I don't know how other people think about it. I used to think everybody must think about it the way I think about it or the way I think you think about it. But I was speaking to a mom recently, and, and I don't know her well enough to use her name, and I, I certainly wouldn't one way or the other, um, but I was on the phone with her, and her adolescent son was in the background, and she just said something kind of offhandedly about, well, let's see if we can get that under 200 today, and I was like stunned for a second, but it was clear that they lived with her blood sugar, this, this, this child's blood sugar, like around 200 most of the time. And I, that like freaks me out, you, you know. Like I, I can't like fathom that. I start getting nauseous when I think about that idea. And so, you know, I'm willing to give away nighttime hours, but man, Chris, at the same time, like I was starting to get like foggy. You, you know what I mean? Like I had to stop writing for a while. I couldn't. I couldn't think anymore. I couldn't sit and concentrate. I couldn't find my thoughts in the back of my head anymore. And. um and so it's really important to sleep, but at the same time, it's really important not to live six hours overnight with a 300 blood sugar too. 
Um, and that I thought I had explained to those guys sitting there pretty well. And then, you know, the next words out of their mouth were, well, it's going to go away. So it'll be good. Right. Just last a little longer, man. And I was like, Oh, okay. We're never going to do this. So is there a way to, do you think there, I mean, you speak to a lot of people. Do you, or do you see a way that we could be talking about this that would kind of open the conversation up a little better to the general public? Or does it seem kind of does it seem kind of hopeless? <laughs> you know that's that's a hard question, and, and you know I I really ad- admire your dedication. It reminds me of, of you know of my own to to being on having my blood sugar um, as close to normal as possible. And you know I think Arwen's very very lucky because I do run into a lot of I I don't want to say a majority, but a lot of kids where. 200 is considered good because they're scared of the low. They're scared of the lows, right? And they're scared. They're scared of the lows. And I I just, I I think it comes back a little bit to that. Take the pill mentality. It's like they need to, uh, a lot of people are, well, the doctor said, take five units with, with dinner. And they took five units with dinner and their blood sugars, 250 but there's um, nothing I can do about it, that because that's what the doctor told me to do. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't, they don't go on to Pushing. thinking about the disease for themselves, thinking about the disease for their child. Right. Um, and I, I, I like to say that, you know, you are going to be your best resource for diabetes. I mean, right now you're our one's best resource for diabetes. And when she gets older, she's going to, she's going to have to take that on. Right. Um, but, Expressing how difficult it is, you know, I haven't had um, much luck with that. Like, you know, it like goes back to that coach, the story I told you earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the same. It's the same with the with with team members. They're like, well, you've been doing this for years, right? I mean, you know what to do now. And I'm like, yeah, I have a pretty good idea. Right. I have a pretty good idea, but every time I go out for a race, I'm making my best guess. Yeah. And, you know, I've had 200 pro races and I've messed up only a handful of times, but um, I'm still going out there with my best educated guess and the best educated guess of my coach and my doctor. Um, and that's what, that's what we're doing every day. Um, and fortunately, I'm there to make corrections when I guess, guess wrong, and so are you. And I, that's the hard thing to express is that you can't just... You can't just give a dose and then forget about it. Right. It's always there. I don't, at the same time, I don't like to say that, you know, diabetes doesn't dominate my life by any means. I do, I do what I, everything that I would do otherwise. Um, it's never, it's never limited me, but it certainly makes things a little bit more complicated. Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Every day is a lot more thinking than, than most people have to put into doing normal stuff. You know, right. like, I mean, my, yeah. my brother and I went, I mean, I'm on, I'm on the extreme side of things, but my brother and I did a 32 mile mountain run a few weeks ago. And I like, I started planning the, the carbohydrates I would need, what, how I was going to carry everything like two days in advance. <laughs> exactly. You know? And my yeah. brother, my brother shows up, he's got a bottle of Gatorade. Like, let's do it. <laughs> hey man, we're going. Yeah. I, this is the same thing. You know, Arden will have friends over 
two o'clock in the afternoon and she's going to go practice for two hours at seven o'clock and around three i'm like look we need to eat now because i need this insulin to peak and work and be done before you show up on the baseball field like you know like all that stuff and and there's a lot of staring back from other people who are like well what do you, you know you're, you're getting ready now and i'm like yeah I, I i have to start thinking about it now i i can't just she can't just go flying out the door you know and and grab some food on her way and then you know say oh we'll eat afterwards or something like that none of that works that way and then on top of that when she gets there and the adrenaline hits her i have to bolus for adrenaline and then when the adrenaline goes away the insulin's still there sometimes you know and then you got to catch the then you got to catch the insulin with carbs and like there's there's so much going on that i just don't think I used to think that people who didn't live with diabetes didn't understand, but now I'm starting to think that people who live with diabetes, some of them don't understand it either. And what you're saying makes a lot of sense that they're being, they're sort of being misdirected by the, the, the simplistic way that they give you your care in the beginning. Like, Oh, it's so like, you know, when I hear people say like, well, what range is okay? When I hear that, what I think is where's a person's blood sugar who doesn't have diabetes. That's the range I'm looking for, right, right? Like, like outside of that range, anything lower means there's too much insulin, and we're in the man-made insulin kind of you know vortex where maybe she's going to get drugged really low, and anything higher is is long-term damage to your body. And and I don't think people think about it that way. Like I, the way it manifests in my mind's eye is I think of sugar in its when I pour it on the table and I see it and it's a cube and it's granular and, it, and it's sharp on its edges. And when you, when you take sugar down to its, you know, to its atom, it's still shaped like that. And that's coursing through your blood. And when people say, Oh, you know, he had a diabetes and it ended up giving him a heart attack or it ended up, he had a stroke or he ended up, he went blind. I don't know that what people maybe don't understand is that that sugar's in your blood system, scraping away at your, veins and arteries and capillaries in your eyes like that's how you lose your eyesight you're being sandblasted from the inside out by sugar molecules and that might sound horrible but that's what's happening and that's how i try to think about it so i don't just look at the number and go oh she's just 200 i'll get it down i think I think every hour we're at 200 i'm taking an hour off the backside of her life somehow like that's how I think about it. And I don't know if that sounds crazy to people or not, but it's, it's how I stay motivated when I'm exhausted or I feel like it would be great to throw my hands up in the air and go, well, this is what the doctor said, you know, like, you know, that kind of thing. And trust me, I have those feelings. I'm sure you do too. Like, you know, once a day you look up at something that's going on with diabetes and you're just like, I want out of this, you you know, like, can someone else take this from me for five seconds? But that's just not how, I mean, this isn't the life. Arden was given. It's not the life you were, you know, you have, and we need to make the best of it. Like that's, that's kind of the way I think about it. And it's working for me so far. It might kill me, Chris. <laughs> I might, <laughs> I might just not wake up one morning cause I'm so tired, but, but at the moment she's, you know, she's my daughter and my wife and I, you know, said we were going to have children and take great care of them. And sure. We didn't expect to get, you know, an autoimmune disease, you know, in the mix, but now it's here and, and this is what it requires. So this is what we do. You know, I, I, I don't see that as being in any way strange. You, you know what I mean? Like it, it just seems like no. the right thing. And it does. It, I, 
as far as as far as as management, I don't know what if you don't mind telling me what was her where's her A one C at now? Uh, the last one was six point one. The one before that was five point nine. Okay. And and it's not even. I mean, I still hoping to get it lower, but at the moment she's eleven. I can see puberty starting. We're starting to get those like you know overnight like pops in in blood sugar that are just you know to say they're unexpected is an understatement. Um, they require a ton of insulin. I haven't quite figured out yet. Um, you know why they? Yeah, I was. You know, I was fortunate enough to miss to miss that aspect of diabetes, the the, the puberty side of it. I was nineteen. Right, and that was oh, over. No. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a strange, odd ride for the next few years. I mean, that's for certain. And but I'm trying to figure it out, and I will figure it out at some point. Like you know, I, I tell people all the time, like you know, every everyone wants to minimize bad things for their kids, but I think. Right. That kind of stuff has to happen so you can live through it and see that it's not going to be the end of you, first of all. Plus, then you take the lessons out of it. You know, all right, it sucked the first time it happened. The third time wasn't great. But on the fourth time, I realized when that happens, if I just bolus this much and do this with a tempeh or something like that, or, you know, you'll come out with an answer if you keep paying attention to it. And, um, And so you kind of have to go through that stuff to find the answer because your doctor's if you go back to your doctor and say, you know, my kid's having like crazy growth spurts while she's sleeping, what do I do? He's going to give you some pat answer that doesn't apply to you. It just applies to the generalization of the, of the issue. And that's not going to help you, right. you know? So I one, don't know. One, one question, one question you don't have to answer oh, please. because it's getting into your own treatment, but uh, with, with how, how frequently are you having lows? Um, a low that I would call a low, n- not that frequently. Um, okay. You know, I mean, yesterday, I think. Like, yeah, she, how she about hit, like dips below 60? Oh, below 60? Um, yeah. Now that we have the Dexcom, not not that, I mean, once or twice a month, maybe? Okay, that's yeah. really good. Yeah, like, I mean, like panicky. Because I, mean, so, lo- I, I was just going to say, you know, I for myself, I for a while, I... I targeted as as low as five for my A1C. Um, yeah. And when I did that, that was actually pre-Dexcom for me. Mm-hmm. So that was pre-2010. But I was having symptomatic lows too frequently, a couple times a week. Yeah. Um, you know, I've never lost consciousness, but like, you know, sweats, uncomfortableness. Um, and I... I I talked with my physiologist and with my doctor and, you know, we, we actually consciously raised my A1C, which was a hard thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew that, wait a minute, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, and now we actually target as high as 6.5. Okay. Um, and his, his rationale, um, was that for every time I went low, I was just crushing myself for my next training session. um, I've actually experienced adrenal fatigue a couple times um, in the racing season. And once I get to adrenal fatigue, I might as well just pack it into the season because it's not coming back until I rest for a couple of months. Okay. And every time I go low, you know, I'm wasting adrenaline. Yeah. Um, so we actually ended up targeting um, a higher, a higher A1C and I've had good results with it. And, you know, and I asked him, you know, 
this doesn't this doesn't feel right. And his answer to me was that the enemy of good is great. And don't reach for too much. You manage this so well. Um, you've got to find the line that works for you. Um, and and hopefully for when you know maybe five does work for her. For me, going going below six. Um, or much below six has come with more um, negative negatives for me than positives. And, and did, when you look at, and, and when I look at the the onset of complications and and things that we're often you're often talking with people that have had A one C's over ten for decades. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm just I. I and I'm just I'm just interested what what your reaction to that to that thought process is. I, well, I'm first of all thrilled right around six. Like I think that's amazing. I mean, as somebody who, you know, she was diagnosed in the nines, and you know, we got it into the eights pretty quickly, but it took Omnipod to get it down into the sevens, and then the addition of the Dexcom, I was finally able to get it kind of into the sixes. But so the way I the way I approach it is, is first of all I don't want her you know I'm 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 not dancing with the devil in, in low you know low blood sugars like I I don't want her to get low I, I get the whole side of that and you know beyond the yeah and all that but the way I'm the way I get her A1C where it is is I use the Dexcom threshold lines so when I initially got it I think I might have set them at you know I think high was two hundred. And low was like 120. Like that's how I had it set in the beginning. And then what I okay. started what I started noticing was is that when I set my expectations between those lines, I met my expectations. So I was like, well, let right. me let me squeeze the lines a little bit. So you know, I kept I moved the low down a little more. I brought the high down a little more. That's how I do it now. Like I'm affecting her A1C by bringing down my my the high threshold and not accepting a number that goes over that and then dealing with those numbers. So we're not getting her A1C by keeping her super low all the time. We're getting the A1C by not by keeping the, the peaks out and the, and the spikes and things like that. And so I utilize the, um, you know, the Dexcom to pre bolus, you know, people who listen to the podcast are going to know this, you know, before, but like last year in school, Arden ate lunch at 11 a.m. But at 10.30, right. she and I spoke by text message, and we would bolus her entire meal, you know, if her blood sugar was, you know, in a place where it could handle all the insulin at 10.30, so that when she starts eating, she's eating it with a diagonal down arrow of a blood sugar of around 90. That's kind right. of that's kind of the goal. So that fight that the food and the insulin has happens around ninety, not at around one hundred and fifty. And then if you miscalculate, you don't end up at two twenty five, and like that whole kind of thing. And so that's what I've been noticing is that every time, like I used, so back in the last school year, her high threshold was one sixty, and two weeks ago I moved it to one fifty. So okay. I react over one fifty, and I react under. I, we're down to 70 now. I think 70 is as low as I'm going to leave the, the low threshold. But then the other thing, the, the way that happens, like people are like, well, I react to peaks too, and it doesn't work out for me. I react to spikes and peaks aggressively. And then I use 
aggressively with insulin and then I use the Dexcom to stop a fall if I've miscalculated. But I won't, you know, like after she's eaten, if I see, you know, an arrow up 20 minutes later, then then there's a, a mistake's been made counting carbs or with the insulin somehow and I will bolus again. And that is something a doctor would tell you not to do. Like don't stack insulin, right? And and but right. but I do if I've got the Dexcom to tell me if it's going to go south on me. And that works, I would have to say, you know, I don't want to put a number on it, but most of the time, you know, most of the time the Dexcom will catch it if I've gone the wrong way. And I just think it's much easier to add a few carbs than it is. It's so much easier to combat a falling number than it is to pull down a high number. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, so. I agree. Have you? I'm sure you're on the, all the latest algorithms with with the Dexcom now. I do have the latest one, yeah, because she does not use in the pediatric um, receiver. She's using the adult receiver. Um, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the pediatric receiver. It's uh, they haven't. But, uh, yeah, they just haven't updated the algorithm yet. Like I think the FDA said it's okay, but it hasn't been pushed out yet for some reason. Um, okay. it, I think it's really there's very little difference between the two. And then that you're using Share, and do you have the watch and whatnot? I have, um, I have it on my phone. I did get a watch. Um, right now, I think the the way the iOS is set up on iPhone, there's a weird lag between the watch and the and the phone sometimes. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm not using the watch right now for Dexcom, but. I actually spoke to a couple people at Dexcom, which I'm supposed to write about, and I'm, um, I want to write about. Everybody keeps asking me. I keep not having time to do it. But I think what's gonna, what people are going to see happen is that the minute the iOS is upgraded in the fall, then not just Dexcom, but most of the third-party apps that are for the watch are all of a sudden going to start working much better. Um, it's, it works great, but it, it, there's kind of a strange lag right now. Um, but Yeah, what I've, I, what I've noticed with the watch is that it- you know, you, you turn you turn your watch to look at it, and the screen turns on. And most of the time, when that happens, it gives me the the last result that I saw. Right. So I have to double it. Yep. And then and that doesn't help because I want to be able to look and see it. And once I have to start tapping on that watch, Chris, I might as well just pull my phone out. Like that's that's kind of how I say it. So, um, uh, I guess what's a little different for me when I'm in a race, the watch is useful because. Licking my wrist twice is easier than pulling out a receiver, but <laughs> well, I, do, I can definitely see your point. Yeah, I'm totally looking forward to when it when it's going to work smoother. And and like I said, I think I genuinely believe we're just a couple months away from that happening. And I think that it's the third party companies are waiting for for Apple to update the way. I guess apparently a lot of the the processing happens on the phone, and there's something I don't understand. You know, the the cell phone technology well enough, but there's something about that that's causing that lag that you're talking about to look at the watch and go, Oh, look, I'm 120. And then you go, wait a minute. That's what I was the last time I looked. And then you tap it and then it, and then it reloads from the phone and then you see your blood sugar. So as soon as that happens, I'm never taking my phone out again, because I don't know about you, if, but if you have the watch, I'm just seeing I do, you do have it. I do have the watch and I, I um, and for the first time I've been used. I've experimented with it, and I've used it in two races so far this this summer. Mm-hmm. And um, I have not ever used my Dexcom during a race before, right. um, simply because pulling pulling the receiver out, turning it on, looking at it has been too much time for me to to waste in a race. Whereas 
just looking at the watch and it's itself is is helpful yeah um so i i i'm glad to hear that they're going to do a software upgrade because i have seen the same negative uh sides of things so hopefully that will happen but what i what i am continually amazed with is how accurate the dexcom is now i mean i started in 2010 and actually i kind of got conditioned to ignoring it a little bit because <laughs> it would be wrong frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just now, you know, I woke up and my blood sugar was, was 76 and I said, oh, that's a little lower than I would prefer, but it's probably wrong. And I hadn't calibrated in 24 hours and I was at 78 when I did a blood stick. And I'm like, well, this is, this is great. Yeah, it is stunning how close <laughs> it is. I, yeah. I I mean, just the fact that they're using them, you know, as a branch of the art of an artificial pancreas, like it just shows you how much, you know, I guess doctors are, are trusting the information that's coming out of it because, you know, it's going to be a large part of how that artificial pancreas makes decisions, you know, is going to be based well, I've on. Seen, I've seen a, I've seen a shift to, from, you know, I go to, uh, Lily sends me to a lot of different expos and a lot of different talking points mm-hmm. and so I get to I get to talk to the latest and the latest guys about the artificial technologies and, and a couple of years ago the, the big hiccup was getting a um, continuous glucose monitor that was accurate enough now they're all talking about getting a faster acting insulin yeah and my my wife uh, works at Novo and she said Aaron just came through and was speaking for the JDRF and he talked about uh, faster acting insulins being necessary and that they're not as focused now on actually even having glucagon as part of it. Um, right. And I'm interested to there's see. Only, I think there's, I, I can't say how many different companies are working on the artificial pancreas, but I know that only one is, is actually working with both insulin and glucagon as a component. The rest of them are working with only insulin. Yeah, Chris, not to get off the, the subject, but for a second, I, I have to tell you a funny story I haven't told you. So, um, I don't know how many, maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, I get this email from Insulate and, um, Insulate's the company that makes Omnipod and, and they said, uh, we've had a scheduling snafu. Um, and we thought we had Chris Freeman speaking at, um, Long Island Jewish medical center, but he's not available. And could you last minute go up and speak in his place? And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, sure. That's no problem. You know, and I, I had some time and, and it, it worked out for my schedule. So I, um, I get up there and I stand at the lectern and I look out at this group of people and I went, Oh my God, they all think Chris is coming. So I, um, I, I, I included a photo of you in the beginning of my, uh, of my presentation and I put it up and I went, all right, listen, I know at least 10 of you were just here to see this very pretty man who does the skiing. I was like, so go ahead and take a look at him for a second. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm letting you down. And, uh, and everyone laughed a little bit. And, and I said, I'm here to fill in for Chris. And, uh, and then I spoke, but there, I could see there was a, Chris, there was a couple of moms in the audience that thought they were going to get to look into your, uh, into your blue eyes. And, and they were a little disappointed, man. <laughs> so there Thank was, you for covering. Oh, no, please, please. <laughs> It was just, it was very funny. Like they looked, I, there was at least three faces that went, this guy skis. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't. I mean, if he does, couldn't we all be in the Olympics? And, um, <laughs> and it was, it was just very, there was a very funny moment in there because I think it happened so last minute 
they didn't have a chance to inform the people who were coming or change any literature or anything like that. And, um, and so okay. I, th- I think I was a bit of a surprise for half a second for people. But, um, but I got a little look into, into what you get to do all the time. And it was, um, it was really, really fulfilling because there were people in the audience who were, you know, some were parents, some were people with type one, there were, you know, grandparents showing up trying to learn more stuff about for their kids and everything. And it was just, yeah, you, you get, that's pretty cool what you get to do, you know? Um, you know, I definitely enjoy doing it. And at the same time, like I, I remember leaving and thinking like, wow, Chris is, Chris is helping a lot of people when he goes out and does this stuff. It's just, it's just really excellent because they left with a different, they came in nervous and they left confident, you, you know, and, and then you get out in the lobby afterwards and people stop you and can I just ask you one question about this or this? And, and what, what I found was a lot of people's questions, they all already sort of knew the answer to, they just needed someone to look at them, someone who lived with it every day to look at them and go, yeah, you're right. That That's, you know, feel confident in what you're thinking right there. And then they left with a completely different confidence. It was, it was nice to be able to give that to somebody, you know, so I don't know how, how you feel, but. It, well, I've, I've, I've been partnered with Lily Diabetes now for God, 13, 14 years. Mm-hmm. And it, the reason it, uh, that I think we've been working together so long is because I do enjoy um, representing them and going to these places and, and, I, I like the interaction and I can, you know, I can tell the people who are really listening and there's always a handful that really get it. And that's, and that's what I, that's what I love. That's what I love to do is, is, is to connect with the people that really, really wanted to, to learn something and to not let this disease get in the way of their loved ones. And that's, 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 really rewarding for me. Yeah. So. I, I think that's, that's, that's why, they, that's why I think the partnership has endured. Yeah. I, I, I would say too, that seeing you do something that's so like, we haven't really spoken about it at all. And maybe there's some people who are like, this is a great conversation, but why are we talking to this guy? Like, so, but, but Chris, like you do one of the most intensive sporting activities, the highest level that I've ever seen. I mean, cross country skiing is, is an insane tax on on anyone's body and that you're doing it with type one i think the the people coming in from the outside who get to look at you and go wow look at him doing this at this level and you know this thing i think it gives them a lot of hope because i think that people sit in their houses and think maybe mean can i sign my kid up for peewee football like like you know like i mean should my daughter play softball like maybe she shouldn't and they see what you're doing and then i think a lot feels possible after that so you know, by putting yourself out there, I think you give people a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of, I don't, I don't even, I'm searching for a word, but, but there's a confidence I think that, that they maybe don't have in the beginning that they see, you know, afterwards, like, I, and I know I interviewed you for print like a couple of years ago during the Olympics. And, and I told you, you know, my daughter, who's, you know, Arden's not really that tied into the diabetes community at all. And she flopped right down and watched you ski in the Olympics. And, you know, then they did a, they did a piece with you, um, ahead of time and seeing you standing there talking about it. And then they flash away and show her insulin pump that she's wearing right now. You know, she was like, that's, that's me. Like even at her young age, she, she saw herself in you, you know, and, uh, 
it's a huge boost for her. And I imagine that happens all over the place. So I want to thank you for, for making your life public like that. Cause it, it helped her and it helped Arden. And I know it's helping a lot of other people too. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I mean, when, when I was, you know, I, I think you, you know my story pretty well, but when I was diagnosed, you know, I had two years until the 2002 Olympics and was told that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, you know, I did, as you know, I went to the 2002 Olympics, yeah. I had the great games, but I, I remember you know, talking to my doctor afterwards that everything had been just tunnel vision on the 2002 Olympics and mm-hmm. being like, so can I still do this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's the longevity? Um, can I, can I keep going? And he's like, I see no reason why you can't. So, yeah. you know, the, the next year I, I had a, breakout year i won a world championship everything was great and you know and i'm not gonna i don't want to toot my own horn but here i am you know i'm 34 now i've won u.s national 17 times and i'm training for a fifth olympics um so that's my that's my new message at camps is that you can do it at a really high level and you can do it for a really high level for a really long time so the last time you and i Um, talked you were a little unsure about the next olympics but you're you're going to take a shot at it I'm as of now. I'm planning to do it. You know, I am taking it year by year. Um, you know, like I said, I'm 34 now. So I even you take diabetes out of the equation, I'm still pushing it on age. And um, I'll be 37 at the next Olympics. Um, so yeah, I want to go. I want to go to one more. Um, that would that would be it for absolutely it. But you know, this past season, I I did win the 30k at, at U.S. Nationals. Um, I represented the U.S. at the World Championships again, so I'm still I'm still performing well, and I, I still believe that um, there's there's avenues to get better. So there's a, a couple other things I want to talk to you about. So, you know, it's funny you just said you know prior to the Olympics and you're diagnosed, and, and everyone says, "Oh, I don't know if you can do it." All of a sudden, I have recently interviewed Charlie Kimball. That is going to go up tomorrow, which by the time this airs will be a couple weeks ago, probably, but. Same thing happened to him. He was diagnosed. They weren't sure about racing. Um, you know, I talked to I talked to Ryan Reed. Say, um, same thing. You know, diagnosed. I'm not sure if you should race a car anymore. Like, you know, right away, it's. I can't wait to get to the spot where doctors, in general, the the answer is an oh, you do something like that. Maybe you can't do that anymore. Maybe they they're going to start saying, let's figure out how to make this work for you. You, you know, like I can't wait till that's the answer and not not fear. Like I, I want so badly for there not to be fear in people's answers, you know? Um, and so kind of thinking along those lines, one of the most popular things I've ever put on my blog is a picture of you without your shirt on. (laughs) And it's, it's not popular because your body fat is lower than plastic. It's, it's, it's popular because you're wearing your Omnipod and your Dexcom on a torso that that quite clearly has a very low body fat and it's it's popular because there are so many parents um of little kids who get told in the doctor's office well your child doesn't have enough real estate there's not enough fat you can't use this dexcom yet you can't use a cgm yet you know you probably shouldn't use an insulin pump yet you know you know and that's just not the case i mean it's easy to see why people would think that and they're being told by doctors you know like why don't you wait till there's a little more you know, a little more real estate, a little more chub here and there. But my daughter is 11 years old. She weighs maybe about 65 pounds. 
she's a lean, athletic, muscular kid, and she wears Omnipod and CGM with absolutely no trouble. I think if people listen to this whole episode, they hear what valuable tools they are in you know your day-to-day and long-term health. And I just wanted you to know, like, I'm sure you just took that picture because you and it was Kiki, right? You were with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you guys were just like, wow, we look great. Let's take a picture of this. But that photo has helped so many people get over that anxiety that, um, that their kids don't have enough body fat to, to use the technology. Like it's just one of those happenstance things, but man, you've, that, that might be your biggest, as far as I can see, that might be your biggest give back to the diabetes community is just letting that picture be out in the world because it's helping i still get hits on it constantly and people send notes and they're like wow i really appreciate this i wasn't going to get an insulin pump till next year for my son or i didn't think we could use the cgm for my daughter and then i saw that photo and i'm like wow this will work so um i mean good for you like truly it truly was just a spur of the moment hey look at this let's take a picture yeah (laughs) you know and and I'm and I'm so unself conscious about wearing those devices that you know it didn't even really occur to me that they, that I was wearing them. Isn't that something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now I know Arden was swimming yesterday at my my in laws' house, and I had my camera out and I was taking a couple of pictures. She's jumping off the diving board, and and I didn't see like till later. Someone was like, "Oh, look how great that picture is!" And then they started saying something about her pump, and I realized that when I look at the picture, I don't even see her insulin pump, you, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't register with me that she's wearing it. And, um, and then somebody else looked at the photo and they saw it and asked a question, but Arden's the same way. I think she's very, um, like she, when she wears shorts, she, she, she wears it and it's on her leg. She wears her pump like below her short line, not above it. Um, you know, I mean the, the most we ever talk about the technology is, She'll say, hey, we're playing three games coming up in a row, and I think I want to be wearing this pod for at least two of them. So can we slide it around here so, you know, if I dive, I don't dive on top of it? Like, you know, that's the, I think that's the, the most that we talk about it, really. Um, anyway, I think that people like you being out in public and, and wearing them like that, again, it goes a long way to get rid of um, the stigmatism that people might feel, so... You're doing great stuff, man. I really appreciate it. And I, re- I appreciate you reaching out and wanting to do this, too. Like, this was really this was really nice of you to want to come on and do all this. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks for thanks for having me. Um, you said Arden plays on Wednesday? She's got the, the dinners Wednesday. Then the state tournament is Thursday. Um, win or lose, they play Friday. If they win those first two games, then they go to the championship on su- Sunday. If they and that would should, be the state championship. Yeah, and then they would move on to the region where then they take their jerseys from them. They they um and they replacard them for New Jersey instead of the town we live in. So um, right. yeah, if they win three more games, so, they're down to the last eight teams on the East Coast. So what did they just what did they just win then? So they won our district. So that's a local district of you know the towns. It's a this is a, it's a little league program. So it's a, the local district of the towns surrounding yeah. us. After you do that, you go to a section. So it's a it's a big chunk of New Jersey, and now you're playing the district winners from all of those sections. They won that one, oh. and now they're trying to win um, all this. They're trying to beat the section winners from all over the state. And once they do that, then then you go on and New Jersey plays Maryland and New York and stuff like that. And she's only 
she's 11 now, but she's pl- she just turned 11, so she's in the 10. So if you were to win the region, it ends at that. But the following year, if you win the region, then you go out to Oregon and you play in the Little League World Series. So they're trying to prep themselves for that. And my town, the town I live in, actually won the Little League World Series last year um, at the 12-year-old level. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of softball that happens in this town, and and people are very, you know, it's a very exciting time for everybody. So, um, what position is she playing? Third base. Third base. Yeah, All right. yeah. She's got the arm to get the ball across the diamond, and uh, she's little, but she does a really nice job over there. So it's it, it's really something. It's um, I I didn't, uh, you know, I mean, you and I have met a couple of times, and and I just I didn't think two such athletic children were going to come from. <laughs> from from me and my wife to be honest but you know like i said last week i was in georgia for a whole week so my son could play baseball in front of college scouts and now arden's doing this um for this it's just you know sometimes i look in the mirror and i think my my, the mailman must have been really really athletic you know (laughs) so uh well you never know did you ever did you ever really train yourself when you were younger oh god no chris i um i grew up in a house where you know we ate very poor we were very broke we ate very poorly um there was no onus on um you know athletics or or anything like that um and i think i'm probably in that situation where i'm just a person who doesn't understand how to take i know how to take very good care of my kids i don't know how to take very good care of myself you, you well, know. You, know, you know you never know well let's see you never know what your athletic potential actually was because you know my dad was my dad grew up as a pig farmer in iowa and so he wasn't able to do sports until he was 25. So he had no idea what he was capable of. And um, he he won the what we call the old fart class at, at U.S. Nationals this year. So you never know. Wow, good for uh, him. That's exciting. You, 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 you never know. So maybe when you look in the mirror, you just squint a little bit. And then uh, <laughs> you can see where she's getting it from. Yeah, maybe I will. I, um, well, I definitely, I mean, you know, it's it's without joking around, like it's one of those things, you know, I constantly think there's some part I have to carve out some time for myself because not only do I want to live a nice long time, but, you know, especially with the diabetes, you're putting so much effort into it now. You know, if I'm one of those guys that pops up at 48 years old and has a heart attack and falls over, you know, then all this is, I don't want to say for nothing, but I'm not here to finish, you know, as a parent. And um, not that I don't, not that I don't just want to stay alive and live a long, healthy life for myself, but as a person who's responsible for other living people, you know, I want to, I want to be here for them. And, um, and I just recently, uh, really got myself in the, in the mind to like, you know, kind of get back to that idea for myself. And I somehow developed plantar fasciitis, which horrible. It's it's got a goofy name. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just getting out of it now. Like I finally, and it was such a good example. I went to the doctor who was absolutely no help to me, just put me on a long round of, you know, anti-inflammatories and gave me a couple of exercises and, you know, not much differently than diabetes. I turned to the internet and the internet told me that there's a $17 plastic boot that will stretch my heel for me. And I started using it. And within a couple of weeks, I'm alleviating the pain and the pain's significant. Um, and I'm, I can't believe the doctor didn't get the doctor didn't give you the boot. No, no. He gave me stretching exercises in a rubber band. And I, even when he gave them okay. to me, I was like, dude, I got two little kids and one of them has diabetes. Like 
I'm probably not going to find time to do these exercises. And he's like, well, if, it, it was such a interesting look into medicine. He goes, well, he goes, well, well, well if you, oh, Chris, I lost you for one second. Sorry, still here. Yeah. Um, he, he just, he, he gives me the band and the sheet and he's like, well, if you don't do them, it's not going to get better. And then that was the end of it. And I was like, wow, that's the full, that's the full intelligence of your years of medical school huh i was like great thanks <laughs> you know and and he was right i i wasn't able to keep up with the exercises and it didn't get better and then i leaned on the anti-inflammatories instead and that didn't really help anything i mean anybody who's ever had it it literally feels like someone's stabbing you in the heel you know and right. you wake up in the morning and hit the floor and almost can't hold yourself up because there's you can't even articulate your your ankle until it, it you can get it stretched out again yeah, so there you go. I went on Amazon. I bought a boot for $17, and I'm almost completely through it. And I can't wait to go outside and try to move around again because I thought I was out of it once, but I could still feel the pain. I went to one of Arden's practices, and I tried to shag fly balls, and the first hard step I took, it was all right back again. Um, is the boot the right way to go? Am I doing the right thing? Well, the boot the boot was my, was my cure, but I, you know, obviously I'm in a different position where I just focus on my body all day, so I was able to do all the exercises and whatnot too. Mm. Um, I would say the uh, the other thing is, if you have any question about your shoes being worn out at all, go out and buy some new shoes. Um, I that's a lesson I've learned this year. I tried to, I bought a pair of shoes that I'm pretty sure started this. Um, I yep. never had a problem like this. I went to a shoe that I thought was going to be great. And it hurt my foot almost immediately. I made the mistake of thinking that my feet weren't right. The shoes were right. I stayed with them a little too long. And finally, um, I, I guess maybe three pairs of shoes ago. Boy, I spent a lot of money on shoes trying to figure it out, too. About three pairs of shoes ago, I actually found um, Brooks sneakers. And yep. I felt a little bit like an old man for a second. But let me tell you, I think the, that's the other part of how I got rid of it. And a couple of weeks ago... I bought a new pair and my son's like, cause I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a clothes person. I'm not a shoe person. Like I usually own a pair of shoes at a time, you know? And my son's like, it's so weird. You're buying shoes before they're worn out. I'm like, no, I can tell these are starting to go. Like they're not, they're not supporting my foot the way they were when I bought them. And, um, yeah, man, that's a great message for people like that. That's had so much to do with it. I, I didn't realize, but you know, I guess you know that from what you do, but, um, because they still yeah, look. If you, if, you go, if you went out to my garage, you'd see about a dozen pair of running shoes. So, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not. I'm not joking. Yeah, no, I don't think. And and again, like I said, I told you earlier, like I grew up completely broke. To me, shoes were done when they had holes in them so big that they were embarrassing. Then they were. Then they were not shoes anymore. You, you, you know. So I I carry that, even though I'm not a person who lives like that as an adult. It's hard not to carry that around a little bit. You know, like you you always feel a little broke and. um and you sometimes make weird decisions. Uh, it's, this stupid story is completely different. But when my wife and I were, were first together, I remember her saying, like, she goes, hey, can you take the garbage out? It smells funny. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I opened up the bin and I was like, it's only half full. And, and she's like, but it smells funny. And I'm like, but we're going to waste the bag. <laughs> She's like, she's like, shut up and tie the bag and take it outside. And that was the first time I realized that I had such a, like a poor mentality from the way I grew up. You know, like I was like willing to let my apartment stink 
before throwing out a trash bag that wasn't full. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, I got past that I with the sneakers. I can sympathize with that. Yeah. I think I think my, my, my dozen pairs of shoes now is overcompensating for the one pair of shoes I had growing up. So. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm right along with you, man. I am taking such good care of my feet now, like since this happened to me. It is really one of those things like you just – when it's happening, you think, you know, I'm a reasonably healthy person. Like I don't usually get sick and that kind of stuff. And, and to have a, to have that kind of pain in your foot and not be able to move around is it really, it humbles you a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, wow, without this, without my feet, I'm, I'm screwed, you know? And, uh, and so I found out the hard way, but I'm, I'm back to it now. It makes me feel, that's, you know, that's one of the, one of the things to you when you start that I've noticed with myself, you know, I can't, I'm 34 now. I can't train the same way I did when I was 24. My body doesn't quite recover. Um, I changed my running shoes more frequently. You know, I used to, I used to get 400 miles out of a pair. I now change at 300. Um, I get a massage once a week, not because it feels good. It actually feels awful. The guy I see is just the strongest man ever. Um, but if I don't, if I don't rip myself apart, if I don't have him rip me, rip me apart and put me back together once a week, I can't do what I do. So you got to do what you got to take care of yourself. If you, uh, you want to be in athletics or just moving around. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, one of the strangest things that we follow baseball pretty closely here. And a couple of years ago, the Phillies second baseman, Chase Utley had such problems with his knees that, um, it looked like he wasn't going to be play, be able to play much longer. And he kept resting and resting and resting. And finally, one day, he met a guy apparently out west who told him, you shouldn't be resting. You should be strengthening them constantly, like always work with them. Maybe not harshly, but but constantly keeping them where you need them to be. And he came, guys, is a guy who doesn't talk in the media much. And he came out in the media and, you know, and gave all the credit to this person that he met. And he said, this guy taught me the season would end. And I would sit around for months and then try to get back to it, but I was too old for that. Now I couldn't do that anymore. So the the key to him was to keep after himself. And it sounds like that's what you're doing too. Is maybe not at the same intensity, but but not uh, not not long gaps of not doing something to yourself to keep yourself in that spot. So yeah, I, what happens to me when I train? When I train a ton, my uh, my hips will get rotated ever so slightly and then one leg will end up being longer than the other, and then that will eventually lead to IT band problems and whatnot that requires physical therapy to get them back together. But if I go and get a massage once a week, it keeps things loose enough that that rotation doesn't happen. doesn't happen. That's amazing. So. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's stuff you just would never think about until you're so in tune with your body. So well, that's really cool. Um, Chris, I hope we can do this again sometime. This was really fantastic. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it was nice talking to you too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. Okay, are you uh, so your Lily tours over for the year? Yeah, I uh, wrapped things up last week with uh, Camp Jack in Rehoboth, Massachusetts, and um, now it's just uh, training, uh, intense training from here on out. Uh, I got a uh, triathlon I'm going to do in Maine in about three weeks, and other than that, I'm just. Uh, putting the head down it's cool man well i wish you a ton of success i i i can't wait to turn on a television and see a 37 year old chris freeman like whipping across the snow i uh, i think that would be that would be quite an accomplishment for you would that be your fifth olympics that would be my fifth olympics wow. yeah. hopefully it'll be in south korea 
Yeah, no, that would be amazing. I, I wish you all the best. I hope I hope it's smooth sailing to that time. Well, thank you. All right, absolutely, man. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Take care, Chris. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to episode 26 of the Juicebox podcast. You can find me online at ardensday.com or juiceboxpodcast.com. Same thing on social media at ardensday at juiceboxpodcast. If you'd like to be on the show, go to one of the many ways you can contact me and contact me and let me know you're interested in coming on. I would love to talk to you about your life with type 1 diabetes. If you are enjoying the podcast, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. Okay, that's it for this week. Thanks again for listening. I'm not really sure which episode I'm going to put up for episode 27, but we'll, I don't know, we'll both find out together next week when I decide.